Good morning. My name is Kelly Ochoa, and I am part of the preaching team here at the Vineyard. I'd like to lend my voice to the welcome um, that you've already had in worship and uh, that Alan gave us. We are going to be continuing in our series today, um, the series called The Collision. Um, and what that's really referencing is the collision of the current age and the age to come. And so we listened to Kurt preach on week one and two, and I want to just quickly remind you a couple of, of a couple of key points from Kurt, because I think as we head into the message today, it's meaningful just to continue that reflection. So in week one, Kurt talked to us about the fact that the enemy is real. But there is, despite that, I mean, if you have any question about that, just watch the five o'clock news. It'll confirm it for you. There's lots of evil in the world. And so the enemy is real, but there is a work of God that meets us in the wilderness. And he reminded us, of course, that we're in the season of Lent. Lent is a time of reflection. And we need the Holy Spirit. As we reflect on our lives and as we lean into the season of Lent, we need the Holy Spirit. He also asked us on the way out the door that day, if, you know, to think about if everything was stripped back in your life, all things that we're so comfortable with, our jobs, our cars, our homes, if, you know, if everything was stripped back, to, back in our lives, what would satisfy us? What would that be? Then in week two, he talked to us about how God's word is life. It's life-giving. How do we surrender to the claims of the gospel? That's really, you know, another reflective question. How do we surrender to the claims of the gospel? How do we lean into the faithfulness of God? How do you carve out space as Kurt said, to eat the bread of life regularly. The Word of God is known as the bread of life. So how do you carve out time to eat the bread of life regularly? So today, we're going to focus on worship. And we're going to, um, we're going to go off that same scripture in Luke, but this is the story of Jesus being tested in the wilderness. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read the scripture. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those forty days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said, If, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you, I will give you, notice the subtleties here, I will give you all their authority and splendor, it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he's still trying to create doubt in the mind of Jesus. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered, it is said, again, a subtlety, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to, to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I submit to you that the enemy of our souls shows up in many ways, many places, looking for our worship, looking to discourage us, looking to confuse us, looking to cause doubt. Jesus was informed, though. He knew intimately the God, you know, God the Father, and he had that word buried in his heart. He knew the truth. So despite the fact that the enemy repeatedly tried to trick him into or sleekly move him into a different thought process, Jesus stood strong. This calls for us to assess the current age, right? How are we doing with the subtleties? How are we doing with those attempts to discourage? There's so much confusion in the world. People are confused. They're distracted. Guilty. So easy to be distracted. We have checklists that are as long as our leg. We have things to do. We have work. We have kids. We have school. We have life. And it's so easy to be distracted. Not only this, but in that confused or distracted state, we have multiple priorities fighting for our attention, and we can often experience our own personal wilderness. Our, when we're in our own wilderness, our souls feel crushed. There's hopelessness that rises. Have you seen hopelessness around you in the world? It's everywhere. Today, we're going to focus on worship. And as we think about worship, I, I really want us to narrow that thought process to this. Worship is about practicing the presence of God. Worship is about practicing the presence of God, inviting the Holy Spirit to commune with us, to be in fellowship with us. Many of us think that worship has to do with coming to, the, you know, coming to church, we stand, we sing songs, that's worship. And indeed it is. But it's also more. God has more for us. He has a lot more for us. But it does require us to come under his authority. I want to ask us, as we, as we move on along, I want to just stop for a minute and ask you a couple of reflection questions. Why do you come to church? Some people might say, well, I've done it my whole life, or, you know, the Lord meets me there, or I like to sing the songs, I like the fellowship, I like to pray. It makes me better. It helps me get through the week. People come to church for many reasons. Why do you read the Bible if you do? And if you don't, why not? Do you believe God is who he says he is? He's a lot. He's awesome. He's bigger. He's better. His ways are higher. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? So, again, I'm going to ask you to ponder your why. Or perhaps your why not as we, as we move ahead. So my hope for us today is that we're going to stretch our thinking a little bit so that we have a deeper and broader understanding of worship. So what is worship? Practicing the presence of 
God, yes, on the left. Practicing the presence of God. So worship is what? Practicing the presence of, yes, it's coming under his authority. It's submitting our hearts, submitting our minds. It's practicing the presence of God. So let's take a look at God's holiness. I'm, I'm going to, not that I need to, but I want to make a case for just a minute about God's holiness. He's holy all by himself, and I could mess this up more than I can help it. But nonetheless, I'm going there. So let's take a look at First um, Chronicles 16, uh, 25 through 29. It says this, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. His holiness. Not our holiness. Not the world's view of holy. His holiness. Some of you may be saying, yes, that's why I come to church. That's why I worship. That's why I do what I do in this relationship with Jesus. That's it, for the splendor of his holiness. Good for you. That's awesome. Some days, I'm not quite there. Intellectually, we know and accept that God is holy. That's not, that's not a hard thing to believe, right? If you look at creation and, and you look at upon him with awe and wonder for all that he's done and all that he does do. It's not a, it's not a hard thing to say, yes, God is holy. You're like, I got it, Kelly, I got it. But we also know it's good to get enough sleep at night. Now, today's a carve out because we lost an hour, so that's probably not the best example. But in general, we know that it's good to get enough sleep at night. But how many of us have a bedtime routine where we start winding it down putting down the social media, turning the TV off, getting off the iPads. You know, how many of us really wind down and set a good bedtime so that we can get seven or eight hours of sleep so that we're better for it the next day? I can tell you that is not me. It's not. I wish it were, but it's not. Um, diet and exercise. We know that exercise does a lot of good things. It releases all those feel-good hormones. It helps you reduce stress keeps you slim and trim. Don't ask me if I have an exercise routine, because I do, but it probably doesn't meet the definition of what it ought to be. <clears throat> My point is, we can know that God's holy, just like we know we ought to sleep and, and we should eat well, but it doesn't mean that we participate through presence, through his presence and spending time with him in that holiness. 1 Samuel 2, 2 tells us, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. No one is holy like the Lord. So this points to the difference in us and God. Here's the thing, though. He's holy. We're not. That's easy enough to understand. But he loves us beyond measure. He can't love us more than he already does. And he won't love us less. Here's the thing, though. 
Why come into his presence? Why worship? Why, you know, experience his holiness in us, through us? Because it's impossible to spend time with him and not get better. If you're thirsty and you drink, you know, you go get a drink of water, satisfies your thirst. If you're hungry and you go eat, satisfies your hunger. If you have a God-shaped hole in your heart and you spend time in the holy presence of our God, guess what? It is impossible to come away and not be changed for the good. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. In comparison, as we think about our character and personality, we're flawed. We have a sinful nature. Um, I skipped over a quote. I, I do want to go back to this. This is a quote uh, by a gentleman named R.C. Sproul. And it says this. It says, God alone is holy in himself. The word holy is used as a synonym for his deity and calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. And his spirit is holy spirit. All things that flow from God are holy. Love, justice, mercy, knowledge, his spirit. All things that flow from God are holy. So none of us are able to meet this standard. We can trust him then to be in control of our lives. So I'm not pointing out of our differences so we start to pull our toes, you know, our toes in and feel like, ugh. No, that's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying this because this is encouragement to us. This is designed to be encouragement to us. This is good news. Our God is bigger. He's better. He's stronger. He's sovereign. He loves us where we are. Doesn't mean he's going to leave us there, but he loves us as we are. We can come to him as is. So I've spent a few minutes sharing biblical definitions about our God and holiness. You guys know me. I like to get out there and kind of see what's going on in the world, jump on Google and, and see what the world is saying. It's, it's usually not quite what the Bible says. And I want to point out a demonstration about that this morning. So I jumped online and I was Googling the word worship. <clears throat> and at first glance, it aligns. Watch this. On Google, if you look up the word worship, you get this definition. To honor or show reverence for a divine being or supernatural power. Okay, I can get down with that. Seems like it seems like it fits to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. An interesting thing about this is when you look at the example that's provided, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. It shares the same definition, but the example it gives is a celebrity worshipped by her fans. What happened? What happened to the deity? Where did God go in this example? That's a subtlety, right? We heard those subtleties when, when the enemy was testing Jesus. And friends, in our lives, in this world, today and now, there are lots of subtleties that can pull us off the truth. 
And the reason I raise this is because when it comes to worshiping God, when it comes to honoring His holiness, when it comes to believing that God is who He says He is, there's no room for confusion. There's an example in a book I've been reading. The book is called The Purpose of Man. It's written by A.W. Tozer. And if I, could, if I had time to read this whole thing, it would be much more eloquent than I'm going to tell it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Tozer talks about um, going to the zoo, and you see a tiger. And <clears throat> that tiger looks strong and powerful and beautiful and impressive. Like there's a few animals in the zoo that everybody wants to see. The tiger's one of them. The tiger in the zoo, though, has been declawed and defanged. So, you know, it, you could start to slide over to the, oh, it's just a big cat. It's just a big kitty, you know, licking his paws. Just a big kitty. Won't hurt you. We could pet this thing, right? But just because those claws and those teeth are gone does not negate the fact that a tiger is one of the most efficient killing machines on the planet. Are you with me on this? It it's a subtlety. It looks like a big cat. But if you go behind the barrier that's designed to protect you, and that killer's instincts wake up, guess what? It won't matter that there are no claws and no teeth. It doesn't negate the fact that that tiger is a killing machine. These are the subtleties. These are the subtleties that we are often faced with in the world. When we recognize, when we know something is a lie, it's easy to avoid it. But these partial truths that society lays down, these partial truths, these quasi-explanations, these we're going to worship deity, and oh, by the way, this superstar is worshipped by her fans. There's lots of crossover in that. People become very confused about the truth. Think back to what the enemy was saying to Jesus. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down here. The enemy said, for it is written. Jesus responds with, it is said. Subtlety. The evidence is clear, and the only way we can cling to the source of truth is to cling to God and his word. So how do we practice the presence of God through worship? So there's a couple of different types of worship. There's what we're doing this morning. It's corporate worship. Um, I don't mean corporation like a business, no. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people under one roof, you know, communing together, singing songs together, praying together. If you don't like the word courtship, you, uh, corporate, you could call it community. There are some big, big words like liturgical and non-liturgical that has to do with the, the frame and the flow of the church. We don't need all that. I'm just saying, you know, for the sake of this talk this morning, I'm calling it corporate worship. Don't throw tomatoes at me. I don't mean corporate like corporation. Um, <clears throat> and then there, and, and I just, out of Hebrews 10... We see the case for gathering together. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 tells us, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
Let us not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Worship together, community, worshiping together. And then there is personal worship. Personal worship is the act of spending time with God, coming into his holy presence on a regular basis for the purpose of deepening our love and respect for God and being changed into the image of Christ. I am keenly aware how far I am personally from the image of Christ. But I am also aware of how much God loves me and how he doesn't meet me in those quiet places um, in a posture of judgment but in a posture of receptivity. He's happy to engage with his child. And the same is true for you too. I want to throw out just a few expressions of worship as well. Now, this list is by no means exhaustive, but it's just to kind of frame for us a few thoughts around how we can worship, how we can come into the presence of God. First and foremost, we can do that through prayer. Jesus sets up for us uh, a powerful example, and in fact, we prayed it earlier. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. But, but let me just say what makes this the example. Not only was it prayed by Jesus, which that is enough, but there's a structure and a flow to this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It right out of, you know, right off the top, acknowledges God's holiness. And then it goes through um, praying for work in the world, praise for our our daily needs, and praise for our struggle. And in the end, it closes with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Again, it leads with his holiness, and it ends with his holiness. That model is good for us too. And I don't want to take too long, but I want to just say a couple quick things. God is not a genie. Rub the lamp. Here's my checklist. Dear Lord, I need this, 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 and this. Thank you very much. Amen. I know no one really intends for that to be the way. I am the world's worst checklist person, so I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to us as a collective. He's not a, he, he, he's not a genie that we rub and say, this is what I need. One, two, three, four. And when he delivers, thank you for that. Here's the next set of things, right? We would never intentionally reduce God to a checklist. But by virtue of not spending enough time in his word, in his presence, honoring his holiness, sometimes that confusion in the world can creep in, and inadvertently, that's what we do. Another way to practice presence of God is meditation. And before you say, I'm not getting down on the floor and sitting like that because I can't get back up, I want to give you a definition of meditation. Meditation simply means to think deeply, to think deeply or focus one's mind for a period of time. How much time do you spend thinking about God in your life? 
When you're out running errands and you've got to go to the bank, you've got to go to the grocery store and you've got to pick up the kids and you've got to get home, you've got to cook dinner, you know, where and how do you meditate on God? Psalm 19.14 tells us, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Do you believe fundamentally that God is good? Let me see you shake your head. Please, everybody go like this. Awesome. Then I say to us, if we believe God is good, and I think we do, it's probably why we're here or we're online, because fundamentally we believe that. How are we meditating on God's word, on who he is, on his holiness, on his goodness, his mercy, his love, his justice, all those things in our lives? How do we meditate on that? How do we remember that? Meditating on it helps us remember it. How do we do that? We can also sing worship songs. Our worship team had a beautiful set this morning. You know, Psalm 100, uh, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. You may have heard this. You, You may have heard Um, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And when I sing, it's more in that category. It's not like what Lauren and Devin do. But nonetheless, it's it's not about how I sound, right? That's a subtlety. That's a subtlety. It's about the condition of my heart with regard to how I sing. Serving others is an expression of worship. Galatians 5, 12 through 14 tells us, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in, in one word. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. Just, I want to throw out a couple of comments, and we'll hustle on through the back half of this. But, you know, we need to open our hearts and minds to the stretching of our minds about worship. It's less about what we do and more about the posture of our heart. We can get busy doing stuff. We can get busy doing work. And there is work we can do that qualifies as worship. But there's also work we can do that just qualifies as busy. The subtlety, again, is the posture of our... Y'all are listening. I'm not just talking about checklist, or feel-good Christianity. Church on Sunday, check. And not that it doesn't feel good to come here and see your friends and pray for one another and worship and, and, and have the fellowship. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But there's more than that. Worship is not about us. It's just not about us. Have you ever heard something like this? Well, I'm going to go to that church because I don't really like the way they have it set up. And, you know, I went there a few times. It really didn't do anything for me. I wish they'd sing a little longer, sing a little shorter, sing this song, sing that song, do this, do that. Because it is about, that's making it about us. Friends, worship is not about us. It's about the condition of our heart, what we bring into this space, what we bring into this time, how we submit to God's holiness, and opening our hearts and minds to whatever it is he wants to pour in. That's what it's about. There are numerous things that, that people worship in society. I don't need to name them all, but a few of them are. 
obviously rock stars. We saw that in the Google example. But it's, they worship people and money and fame, personal accomplishments. Sometimes we even worship, you know, creation. Oh, I like to get out in the park and just spend time in creation. And that is so groovy. I'm not saying it's not. All I'm saying is don't, don't confuse creation for the creator. Don't confuse anything for the creator. Amen? The creator is in a class all by himself. Nothing compares. Nothing. Now, creation can move you closer to the creator. Running can move you closer to the creator if you're using that time to meditate. Singing can move you closer to the creator. I'm saying, listen, run hard, run fast, move closer to the creator. Just don't confuse the activity for the creator. Psalm 42, 7, there's a line in there that says, deep calls out to deep. It goes on to say lots of other things. I don't have time to get into that. Deep calls out to deep. In essence, this is the Spirit of God reaching deep into the spirit of his children. That's you and me, friends. Bypassing any and everything that may impede that sweet communion and fellowship God so passionately desires to have with us. How might I go deeper in my relationship with the Lord? That's the question for us this morning. It may be a release of doing things the way we've always done it. In Luke 19, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. We're going to hear more about that on Palm Sunday. And the people are shouting, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. This is the king they've awaited for, right? And they think it's a political king. We're going to learn later it's not. But the, the Pharisees were annoyed with those people because they did things a certain way. There was a flow and a structure to how they lived their religious lives, and they were annoyed. And so they actually were asking Jesus to, to quiet them down. Can, can you bring it down? He said in uh, Luke 19.40, he said, I tell you. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Can you worship, can you imagine your worship being so on fire that it could bleed over to the stones if you stopped? That's an intense type of worship. And they were doing that unafraid, uninhibited. This was the long-awaited king they were looking for. There are so many people that are experiencing an identity crisis. We drift from the truth of what the Bible teaches um, about who we are and, more importantly, whose we are. And the world promotes identity through a lot of things. In that book I mentioned earlier, Tozer says this, Worship is man's full reason for existence. Worship is why we are born and born again. Worship is the reason for our genesis in the first place. Worshiping God is our first call. Not second, not third, not last, not leftover fruit at the end of the day. First harvest, top of the tree stuff. In order to worship in the truest sense, though, there's four characteristics that have to be present. Humility, confidence, admiration, and awe. So humility, if we posture ourselves and we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Humility. 
Remembering his holiness and our smallness can ready us for appropriate worship. Confidence. It's necessary to respect God in order to have confidence. Do we have a high enough opinion of God? Or have we reduced God to a checklist? Admiration. We strive to be able to enter into God's presence and not want to rush out again. We're able to slow down and admire him. And when we do that, it allows us to recognize that we are in the presence of utter and infinite excellence. Awe or fascination. It literally means to be struck with astonished wonder. When you think of your creator, are you struck with wonder? I just ask you this as, as we get ready to wrap here. Um, do you acknowledge and praise God every day? Is it a Sunday thing? Is it a Sunday-Monday thing? Are you too busy Monday through Friday? Is it maybe Saturday, Sunday? I don't know. If you spend a minute a day meditating on God's Word and, and who He is, His holiness, His faithfulness, that equates to about 15.2 hours a year. If you spend 10 minutes a day, it's about 152 hours per year. If you drink water, you become satisfied if you enter into that drink of water thirsty. If you eat, you're fulfilled from a hunger standpoint. If you come into the holy presence of God, you will be changed for the good. Are you humbled by and yet confident in his character? Are you awestruck? Do you admire him? I want to challenge us with this, and then I'm going to pray a prayer and, and we'll dismiss. But are you willing to incorporate one small act of worship into your daily routine? Some of you are like, girl, I already got that. Maybe you do. Then I'm going to ask you to go deeper. If you're spending 30 minutes, can you spend 31 can you do it different? Does it look different than it did before? Whatever it is that is going to allow God's Spirit to pour out upon you for your good and His glory, are you willing to do it? I, I talked about what the math is. You know, He can do a lot with a little. What I have found in my own life, if I spend a little bit of time, I want a little bit more time, right? Um, but Will you incorporate one small act of worship into your daily routine? And if you're already doing it, is there a way to go deeper? If you have opportunity in your life for more of anything, here in a minute we want to pray with you. If you want more time with God just to get to know him better, we want to pray for that. If you feel like you need to rearrange your priorities, we want to pray for that. If you have a sense of emptiness in your soul and you know that nothing else you've tried has satisfied, we want to pray for that. A friend of mine who, who's a pastor, um, you know, I went to a class of hers one time, um, and she's, you know, she was talking to us about spending time and carving out time. And this has happened to me over and over, so I'm just going to be completely vulnerable and tell you. I raised four kids. Most of you know that. I used to do all this craziness. I can't even describe what was going on in, in the daytime. And then I'd go to bed at night, and I was like, yes, let me read this devotional. There were nights I didn't make it past the first two sentences because I was exhausted. 
And I was not in a frame of mind. I wasn't in a place to acknowledge God's holiness. I was too tired to be awestruck. Right? Lights out in two sentences. And she said to me one time, she said, Kelly, it's an easy thing. Why do you give your last fruits to God? Why don't you think about rearranging your schedule to give him the first fruits? And I was like, ooh. But I did that. And I tell people at work now, my first appointment every day is with God. And trust me, y'all need it that way. They know. (laughs) They know. It's impossible to come away from quality time with God unchanged. So I urge you today to find a way to spend more quality time with our maker. If you need prayer for anything, more of anything, more of God, more of his word, more freedom in the word, better ways to worship, better ways to prioritize your day, uh, we would like to pray for you. And so over the last few weeks, we've been um, inviting you to stand where you are, and then people around you can pray with you. And if you don't feel comfortable disclosing your ask, you can simply say, I, I just need, I need more of the Lord in my life, or I need, I need more. And here's the thing, God knows. God knows exactly what you need, so you do not necessarily have to articulate it. But if any of this resonated with you, if you feel like you need to go deeper, if you want more of the Lord, if you need to change your priorities, if you want more truth to help you navigate through life, I'm going to ask you to stand. Okay. So why don't we all stand? We do have prayer ministry team um, folks in the building, and if two or three of you guys would come up to the front in case someone needs healing or prayer for anything else, um, we'll have some folks up front uh, willing and able to pray with you. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and have a prayer together. God, we thank you so much for the way you love us. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your divine-inspired word. We thank you for the roadmap that helps us move along, that helps us get better. God, give us uh, an humbled heart and open eyes. As Alan mentioned earlier, Lord, let us look to you from where our help comes. God, I pray a prayer of blessing over everyone in this building and everyone online, and we just thank you for who you are. We thank you. Um, that we are yours. It's in Jesus' holy name that we lift up this prayer. Amen. Have a great week.